0: be honest with you tonight church and say i'm excited and grateful that we can just enter into the presence of god and just be real. We don't have to perform, we don't have to pretend. We don't have to put on airs and act like we've got it all together. We can just open up the bible and we can hear directly from the father what he wants us to know. And we're in a series called Summer of Prayer. We called it that because this fall we are kicking off some new ministries. Life Academy is kicking off this fall 3d life recovery is continuing to grow and we anticipate in the fall that we will see a harvest there church attendance usually kicks up in the fall once the days begin to get shorter and people don't have as many extracurricular things going on and we believe that this fall God is going to bring more people in and we're gonna see some growth so what we want to do is we want to be faithful in this time in the summer to learn to pray and to pray effectively now I'm gonna ask you a question And I don't want you to raise your hand. This is rhetorical. This is for you to think about and to ponder. But I think most of us in the room tonight are Christians. I think I know personally everybody in the room tonight. And by the way, I don't want to miss this opportunity. Kip Hurst is with us from Alaska. He's come down here. He is our first Alaskan member of Eastland Life Church. And I guess he got tired of the the views and the weather in Alaska, so he wanted to come to the most beautiful town on earth, Metropolis, (laughs) Illinois. And make this his home. So, Kip, we're so glad you're here. He has been a blessing. If you're on Slack, that's our group messaging app that the church uses to communicate with one another. If you're on Slack, you've no doubt seen him. He's been a blessing to me because he's been asking me really difficult theological questions that I don't know how to answer. So, I've just been sort of pushing him off to to Dave and to to Brian and all the smart guys. But truly, it's it's, it's a wonderful thing to have you here. It's a wonderful thing to have you here. And we want to take this series as an opportunity to learn to pray, because I believe that in my life, and I believe probably in the life of our church, I think I know most of us here, I don't know if anybody tonight would say, Pastor, my prayer life is strong and it's what it should be. I don't know if any of us can say that tonight. Now, I would imagine that there are varying levels of fervency in prayer I imagine that some of us have gone through periods of time I can say this myself that I've had periods of time where my prayer life was it was hot it was on fire I was meeting with God and I've gone through valleys where it seemed cold and distant much like a marriage the relationship has always been there but the communication is not always there find a failing marriage and no doubt Behind the money issues, behind the job issues, behind the busyness issues, the core of a failing marriage will be a failure to properly communicate with one another. Almost every time. And in the Christian life, find me a Christian who is continually struggling... Continually struggling to hear from God. Continually struggling to live the Christian life successfully. Continually struggling to feel as if God is using them and moving in their life. Show me that Christian. And more than likely, I'll show you that that Christian has a prayer life that is minimal at best. For many of us, prayer is a habit that we haven't properly formed. For many of us, prayer is that thing that we know that we should do because the Bible tells us to but we struggle to do it and if you're thinking tonight you know what pastor that's you that's not me my prayer life is wonderful we can only get better by going to God's Word but I'm gonna anticipate that this summer is going to be an opportunity for us to learn to pray and there's no better place to learn to pray than from God himself amen we're gonna go to the book of Luke we're gonna be in Luke chapter 11 and I'm gonna throw a curveball at you because we're going to be looking at what is often called the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer but this is probably not the one that you memorized. how many of you memorized the Lord's Prayer as a kid many of us did many of us could probably quote it right now I, I grew up in Christian school it was old Southern Baptist and it was King James only when I was a kid and To this day, I still quote it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's in Matthew chapter 6. What we see tonight is not that exact prayer. But it almost completely mirrors that one. It's a little bit shorter. It's a little bit more succinct. And I chose that because I tend to not be succinct. So maybe this will help me. Probably not. Actually, I chose it because I want you to see how this opens up in Luke chapter 11. This is a different instance from where Jesus praised the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11. We're only going to read one and a half verses tonight. And we're going to dig into them deep. Charles Spurgeon says this, he says, To pray is to enter the treasure house of God and to gather riches out of an inexhaustible storehouse. It's to enter the treasure house of God and to gather riches out of an inexhaustible storehouse. There's two words I want to teach you tonight about prayer. Our goal for this series is this, that we'll go slow, we'll be deliberate, we'll dig deep, and instead of trying to bite this thing off at once and eat the elephant all at one time, we're going to go slow we're going to be deliberate and we're going to begin to add in what the Bible says to our prayer life you with me we're not going to try to transform it all in one night so there's two things I want us to learn tonight as we go to Luke chapter 11 two words are this number one is intimacy number two is awe. intimacy and awe. a w e these are two elements tonight that Jesus is going to introduce that should characterize how we pray it's the way Jesus prayed and it's how he taught us to pray so let's see what he says he says in Luke 11 it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place it doesn't tell us where he was praying but he was praying in a certain place and when he had finished one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray just as John this is referring to John the Baptist also taught his disciples to pray I want to talk to you tonight about prayer and the priority of prayer And before we dig into the prayer itself, I want us to think about something. Jesus Christ was not merely a man. Who was he? He was the Son of God. In fact... Jesus's life and death was characterized by the fact that he was not near, merely a man He was the son of God and made himself to be equal with God. That was the charge that was laid against him That was the charge that got him crucified by calling himself the son of God by referring to God as his father Jesus ended up committing what the religious people of that day called heresy It was heresy to call yourself the son of God and yet here is Jesus Who in eternity past, prior to coming to earth as a man, had spent eternity past in heaven with God the Father as part of the triune God. For eternity past, millions and millions and millions of years, we can't even fathom it. Jesus has been in the presence of God. He's not the same as God, but he's equal with God he is God Matthew said it this way in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and here's Jesus fully man yet fully God and even Jesus who knew everything that God the Father knows this Jesus who fully understood God's purpose and plan for his life and everybody's life and your life even Jesus stopped in the middle of his day at a certain place and at a certain time, and he made it a priority to pray. Prayer was a priority to Jesus. And if prayer was a priority to Jesus, church, prayer is a priority for me. If it's a priority for Jesus, it's a priority for me. And it's a priority for you. Let me share with you what I think has been my greatest struggle in prayer. I tend to be a little bit of a thinker now that doesn't mean I'm smart it just means I think a lot about things and I reason through things right, you can't you can't equivocate that with intelligence because a lot of people spend a lot of time thinking about stuff it doesn't mean it's smart they just think about it a lot I think that's where I'm at and sometimes we can overthink things y'all agree they call it paralysis by analysis you ever spend so much time thinking about something you don't get it done and you just stare at it and you put it off I think that's been my problem and my struggle with prayer. Because here's my thought process, all right? Here's my thought process. Prayer, in my mind, is how I take my needs to God. And I ask God for what I need. And I tell God what I'd like for him to do. And I share with God my problems. And then God responds. And Diane, you're already laughing at me because you're like, man, this dude has it all wrong. And you're right. That's been my struggle. So my mind is kind of going to this place. Okay. God is all-knowing and he's all-powerful. We agree? If you disagree, you don't have to raise your hand. Just, you're wrong, all right? He's all-knowing and he's all-powerful. And he's sovereign. That means he's in control. So nothing that happens, happens outside the will of God, outside the sovereign will of God. Doesn't mean that everything that happens is good. Doesn't mean that God approves of everything that happens. It merely means this. Every molecule in the universe is governed actively by the power of God. So my mind thinks of it this way. Kip, if prayer is my way of reminding God what I'm dealing with and getting answers from God about what I should do and maybe even convincing God to do what I'd like for him to do, it doesn't make any sense to pray because God has already decided what he's going to do anyway. And what good does it do me or God to take up his time and my time by going in and telling him what he already knows and asking him to do what he's already decided to do or not to do? It seems silly. It's illogical. And I know y'all are looking at me thinking, man, you're a heretic. I'm just being honest. Prayer has been my struggle because I have intimately known in my mind I cannot change God's mind. I can't make him do what I want him to do. I can't convince him to change his mind yet I've struggled because the Bible clearly tells me pray so even though it doesn't make sense to me I'm being disobedient if I don't do it but we've all been kids at some point and don't you hate it when your parent tells you to do something and you ask them why and they say because I said so (laughs) I remember fighting to the best of my ability, 85 pounds, dripping wet, fighting with this guy in the second row, when he would tell me to do something that made no sense to me, and I would say, hey, I'm not trying to be disobedient, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, just before I do it, can you just tell me why? And he never would, and it drove me nuts. He'd say, son, you're just going to have to trust me say I do trust you but I would be more happy doing this if you would tell me what it's gonna lead to what the purpose of it is how this is gonna help anything and I think that whether he knew he was doing it or not I can't tell if he was just trying to aggravate me or if he was trying to teach me something he would never give me the satisfaction of explaining it he would always force my hand to be obedient and then let me figure out the reason later and I think prayer can be like that sometimes God could give us all the answers if he wanted to give us all the answers But as I study through the scripture and I read about prayer and I begin to learn more and more about prayer and I think back to those times in my life where prayer was most effective and most fervent and most important, what I realize is that prayer never changed God, but it always changed me. It always changed me. You see, Jesus knew everything he needed to know. Jesus had every resource he needed. Jesus had a perfect relationship with God the Father, and yet Jesus, knowing everything, knowing what God's will was, still made it a priority to pray. So that's where I want to start tonight, that prayer is a priority. If it was a priority for Jesus, it's a priority for me. But we learn in this scripture, when the disciples ask Jesus to pray, to, to teach them how to pray, Jesus did not correct them by telling them what we usually tell our kids when it comes to prayer. You see, we think of prayer not as a skill, but as a habit. We think of prayer not as a skill, but as a discipline. We explain it to our kids something like this. Hey, honey, it doesn't really matter what you say. Just talk to God. Just talk to him. Just say, dear God, and you just pray whatever is on your mind. And those of you that have had kids in your home know that when you open the door wide open like that, they're going to pray some weird stuff. They're going to pray some weird stuff. My kids' prayers usually start something like this. And I'm in the process of trying to teach them how to pray. But they usually start something like this. Dear God, I pray we have a great day today. And you know why they pray that? Because they're honest. They want to have a great day today. They don't have a bad day. And if anybody can give them a good day, it's God. So they're like, hey, God, we know you're God, so give us a great day today. That's how they pray. Now, of course, we don't condemn our children for praying that way. We want to normalize talking to God because that's truly what prayer is at a base level, but there's more to it than that. You see, when the disciples asked Jesus, Hey, Jesus, teach us to pray. We've seen John the Baptist's disciples, his followers, they know how to pray. We see in Scripture that they not only prayed often, but they fasted often. It was something that they had worked on. It was something that they had really focused on. They said, Jesus, teach us to do that like you do it, like John does it, like his disciples do it. And Jesus didn't correct them by saying, Oh, you know what, guys, as long as you're praying, it doesn't really matter what you say. It doesn't really matter how you say it. It doesn't really matter how you approach God. All that matters is that you're disciplined and that you do it and that you're obedient. Jesus seemed to imply with his answer that there is a skill in praying. There is a way to pray and there are ways not to pray. There are ways to worship and there are ways not to worship. You see, I pray tonight that in this church building you feel free tonight. I pray that you don't feel restricted by tradition, that you don't feel restricted by the judgment of others, that you don't feel restricted by the systems that we have in place. We pray that as you approach the throne of Jesus tonight, that you feel free. But the truth is, as we feel free, it's also important to recognize that Jesus has a certain way of doing things and Jesus wants us to know them and he wants us to follow them because when we follow them when we develop these disciplines into skills the way Jesus wants it done the outcome is better see Jesus wants the best for us and when we pray self-centered prayers that are all about pastor Blake getting what I want and getting my questions answered and getting my will made known to God so that maybe I can change his mind I think what he's telling me in Luke 11 is, hey, there's a way to pray and that's not it. And if you feel like your prayers don't go further than the ceiling, if you feel like your prayer life has been inconsistent and not powerful and not effective, perhaps it's something that we shouldn't quit or feel guilty about. It's something that we should be honest about and work on. It's a skill that we should develop church when we come together we don't worship or pray or preach to impress others but when I bring the Word of God I do it so that you can understand it and apply it but truly I try to do it with excellence because he deserves that and when we pray we should try to pray the way God wants us to pray because we are obedient to him prayers a skill prayers a skill he says in verse 2 he said to them When you pray, say. And he's going to tell them a model of what to say. But I want to focus on this for a second. Prayer is a priority. Prayer is a skill. But church, prayer is also an assumption. Prayer is assumption. Jesus assumed that we would pray. He assumed that his disciples would pray. You see, Jesus did not assume that a church like ours would have a certain small group of people that we called the prayer warriors, or the prayer team. You with me? Now, if if you are a person that is wholly dedicated to prayer, and you want to lead others in doing that, I encourage you to do so. But the truth is, prayer is not a spiritual gift that some of us get, and some of us don't prayer is a skill and a habit that we develop and that we focus on out of necessity and out of obedience I want you to think about this when an athlete begins to train for the Olympics we've got the Olympics coming up here in just a month or so when these athletes begin to train one of the first things they get taught to do no matter the sport whether it's swimming whether it's basketball some of the sports are weird I don't don't, don't know if they teach them this in all of them but most of them that require a lot of athletic ability one of the first things they learn is how to breathe properly Did you know that? one of the most effective tools for the athlete is not simply what you do with your hands and with your feet and the skills that you obtain and the skills that you learn it's learning to breathe properly it's learning to manage your heart rate and you think to yourself well hey I could be in the Olympics because I know how to breathe all of us know how to breathe But there's a way to do it that can give you an edge. There's a way to do it that can give you an advantage over your competition if they have not focused on this little thing. You see, when the disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray, Jesus didn't go, oh, you're a special Christian that's interested in prayer. Well, let me pull back the curtain and show you the secrets to the intimate Christian life. Jesus just simply said, sure, when you pray. See, he had the assumption that all of us would be praying. He had the assumption that all of us would be praying. And when we come to church, I believe that we have assumptions for God. And He doesn't always meet them. We assume revival is going to come. We assume the building will be full. We assume that the worship will be good. We assume that we will be touched by the Word. I wonder how often God has assumptions on us and we fail to meet them and we're unaware of the fact. You see, Jesus assumed we would be praying consistently. And he said, when you pray, assuming we would be praying, when you pray, say this. And he gives us a model. He gives us a model for how to begin our prayers. And I want to encourage you tonight, as we look at this model, we're only going to jump into about half a verse tonight. And my challenge is that you'll take it and you'll apply it and we will use it starting tonight. It's a small group, so I don't mind being specific in what I think we need to do tonight. He says, when you pray, say this. And I don't think he means that we have to quote it. I don't think he means that every time we pray, we should repeat this prayer. But I think he's giving giving us a framework. He's giving us a foundation for what our prayers should sound like. How we build them. How we approach God. And the first word he gives us is Father. He says, when you pray, pray like this. You address God, and you say, Father. Now we look at that, and we probably don't think just an awful lot of it, because that's that's normal, that's common. He said, when you pray, you approach him as Father. And this seems so normal to us, to pray and say, dear Father, Some of you probably know somebody who uses the word Father in their prayers compulsively. You ever been with that person, they say Father about 40 times in their prayer, and you begin to count it as they pray. Like, I wonder how many times Bernie's going to say Father. Dear Father, we thank you, Father, for bringing us this meal. Father, God, Father, we pray that, Father, you would bless this meal, Father, to the nourishment of our bodies, Father. And you're just sitting there counting. It's common for us. And if you think about why it's common, I think Satan's been tricky here. Because when we think of the word father, take it out of its biblical context for a second, and just think about the word father and what that brings up in you. About half the households in our country don't have a father present in them consistently. In minority communities in our country, it's more like one in six have a father present consistently in the home. Many of us have been hurt by fathers, betrayed by fathers, let down by fathers. And it strikes me that Jesus says, you go to God as father, and that can be hard for us. Some of us, I see Pawpaw sitting there in the back, your family's been very blessed and fortunate. They've had a good father. I've had good fathers in my family and in my life. I've had men play that role, both who actually were dad and men who fit the bill as dad. So I've got some good connotations around the idea of father, but I understand it's not like that for everybody. But as radical as that idea might be today, because of the attack on fathers in our culture, if you watch a sitcom, I don't know if they're still even writing sitcoms, but the thing that they did for the last 20 years is they always make the dad like kind of bumbling and stupid, like, oh, dad doesn't have any idea what's going on. We've kind of minimized the role of fathers. Like the word father in our culture is no longer a sign of respect and dignity, somebody to be respected and held up in esteem. But in this culture in which Jesus was speaking, it was even more radical. You see, in the Old Testament, before Jesus showed up on earth, God was addressed as Father only 15 times in the Old Testament and never in a prayer. Never in a prayer. You see, it would have been considered blasphemy for a Jew to address God as his Father. Now, they used the word Father as a title for God, but it was always Father in the... It was father in the macro sense, as if to say the father of the universe, or the father of all things, or the father of all men, or the father of the kingdom, but never did they address God as their father, or as my father. And yet Jesus said, when you pray, you address God as father. Now the word in Greek in which our New Testament is written, the word was pater, it just means father. But Jesus probably didn't speak Greek. Well, I'm sure he could speak Greek if he had wanted to. He was Jesus. But Jesus' common language that he used every day was Aramaic. That was the language that he spoke in. And when Jesus addressed God as Father, we see it over and over in the Gospels. Jesus addressed God as Abba. The word was Abba. And it means Father, but more specifically, it meant Father in the sense that a child addresses their dad. You could translate the word abba into dad or even daddy you see 15 times in the old testament god was acknowledged as father yet in the new testament over 100 times when jesus shows up onto the scene god is referred to as father using this intimate title of dad or daddy and the question is what changed when jesus showed up because church if, if we don't know who we're talking to then prayer's not going to be that effective Here's what I think changed, and I don't want to miss this. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See how great a love the Father has given us that we would be called children of God. In John chapter 1, verse 12, John says it this way, that He, speaking of God the Father, gave them the right to be called sons and daughters of God. You see, when Jesus showed up onto the scene, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. He was also referred to as the firstborn among many children. The idea is that Jesus was truly the Son of God, and when he died in your place, and he rose in your place, and you give your life to follow him, his righteousness and all the benefits of his sonship roll to you. And when you receive Jesus as your Savior, you are now called a son or a daughter of God just like Jesus is. And that's a big deal. Because in the Old Testament, the Jews wouldn't even speak God's name, much less call Him Daddy. It would have been considered heresy. It would have been considered disrespectful. But here Jesus is saying, hey, when you address God in prayer, start it out like you're talking to your dad just address him as your dad and the word is ABBA in church I don't want to miss this because this can truly transform your prayer life it can truly transform your prayer life when you consider the fact that in Timothy we learned that Jesus Using this word dad or Abba is speaking of a God who Timothy said is right now at his throne living surrounded by what Timothy called an unapproachable light. He is an unapproachable light. It is so bright, you can't approach it. If you tried to approach it as a human right now, if you somehow were able to get into heaven and gain access to the throne room, the light of God's glory would blind us and destroy us if we could see it. In fact, this light is so bright and God is so unapproachable that we learn in Revelation that right now, And for all of eternity, this throne is going to be surrounded by angels who cannot even look upon him. They have to cover their face, and they have to cover their feet. And for all of eternity, millions of angels surround the throne singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And we learn in Revelation that as this is happening, there's this blinding light. There's angels singing of his glory. Even the angels can't look upon him. There's lightning and there's thunder around the throne. There is fire in his eyes, Revelation said. And yet you and I, when we get on our knees and pray, we get to kick the door open and we get to run to the throne and climb in his lap and say, hey, Dad, it's me. I want to talk to you. That's what we get to do. We get to approach the unapproachable God as our father and as our dad. You see, prayer is going to be ineffective if it's not intimate. Jesus was teaching us that prayer is meant to be intimate. It is meant to be intimate. But there's something about intimacy that we can get used to. I've got an 11-year-old daughter. Charlie is on a plane right now. I think she is. I hope she she is, or I'm going to be getting a disappointed phone call from my wife as soon as I leave here tonight. My daughter's 11 years old. She is full-on adolescent. Bernie, I know your kids never went through that, but my kids are. She thinks she knows everything, and she's right usually about that. She knows a lot. But what I've learned with my daughter is that the closer that I get to her, and the more that I approach her, and the more that I show that I love her, and I put my arm around her, and I, I I try to connect with her, she's gotten into this habit of picking at me and taking little shots at me that occasionally can get really personal. Like real personal. I don't remember what we were talking about the other day, but I was picking at her and joking with her about stuff, and she just said, Dad, you're not too smart. You're not that smart. And I just thought, You're 11, and yes, I am, actually. (laughs) Now, whether I'm right about that, I don't know, but doggone it. I'm the father, and you can't talk to me that way. And, of course, my wife jumped to her defense. Oh, she didn't mean it. She was just joking. I said, well, I get that she was joking, but there's kind of a line we don't cross with dad, right? Now, maybe you say, oh, just let her her joke. Well, I sort of got this in my mind when she said it that, like, hey, I love that we're close, and I love that we're intimate, but we're not going to insult each other. And you are going to respect me because I'm your dad and as her father it's my job to teach her that the way she respects and submits to me is going to be the template for her adult life and how she'll respect and submit to God so I love that we're close I love that we're intimate I love that we can joke and have fun but you do have to be respectful with dad that just comes with the territory in fact the other day Some of you all know this story, some of you don't. She's headed to this mission trip right now. It's her first time ever leaving the country, first time on an airplane, first time doing mission work, and she's following her mama's footsteps and she's super excited. And it looked like she wasn't going to get to go because her passport got delayed and it wasn't going to come in. So Carissa and I, I took off work on Thursday. We drove to Chicago, dealt with the passport agency in Chicago, which is as fun as you can imagine. It's as fun as it sounds. We drove back. It was a long trip and we were tired. And at one point in this trip, Charlie looked over at me sitting in the passport agency. We got crying babies all over the place. We got angry people everywhere. And she turned and looked at me and went, I'm bored. <laughs> and I thought, Child, if you knew what was being done for you, you would respect it and you would appreciate it. But she's 11, so we give her some grace, we cut her some slack. The truth is, if we miss intimacy in our prayer, we will not experience the closeness with God that our hearts desire. You'll miss it. And if you've ever experienced intimacy in your prayer, as I have just a handful of times. I can't tell you it's every day or even every week, but occasionally I've been praying and it has been like God was sitting in the room with me. I couldn't see him, but in my heart like we were we were connected. It's like I was hearing from him and it was unbelievable. And I long for those times, and I seek after those times. But it's also important to recognize that as we approach God with intimacy as our dad, we cannot lose sight of the fact that He is the God of the universe. And that as we approach Him with intimacy, our intimacy and our closeness cannot turn into what the Jews would have called the common. You see, we still as we pray intimate as it is with the access that we've been given we are still entering into the Holy of Holies when God called Moses and Moses approached that bush God said take your shoes off now it was intimate God knew Moses and God took time to connect with Moses on an intimate level that most of us can't even in one sense relate to but even God said Moses the ground you stand on is now different and it's not different because the ground has changed it's different because I showed up you need to take shoes off why shoes I don't know but that's what God said when we pray we must approach God with intimacy as a child approaches their father but we also approach it with awe, understanding this is the God of the universe that we're connecting with that God Who breathed breath into our lungs, that God who created this universe that we exist in, He is bending His ear to hear us, church. We can never take that for granted. We can never take that for granted. He said, Pray like this Father, and if you're reading from Matthew 6, verse 9, He said, Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed literally just means holy. The word holy doesn't mean perfect, it means separate or set apart. Here's what this means in real language. When we approach God, it's something like this. You're my dad, you're my father, you're my provider. May your name be holy and set apart. You see, prayer time has to be set apart from the rest of the world. It's not common, it's not normal, it's not just like talking to your buddy, it's different. Because God's not just your buddy he's your father and he's the God of the universe and he's your dad and he wants to hear from you but we are approaching the holiness of God and we take it seriously when we do so because we recognize that God has made a way for us to do this at a very high cost you see when Jesus died we were given access to God when Jesus God's son died the veil in the temple tore and the presence of God that had previously only been given to the priest was now given to us and in the book of Hebrews we learned that we are now all priests in God's kingdom all of us who know Jesus Christ are priests in God's kingdom we've been given the right to enter in but church we do not enter in casually we enter in intimately and gratefully and humbly but it's not casual it's not casual